0: This is Matt Waters, the host of Strange Currencies. To this point, this podcast is focused on songwriting exclusively, and I always plan to branch it out, and we are now. Once a month, I'm hosting a reading series at Otto's Shrunken Head called Show to Tell. We just had our first meeting a couple months back with Christina Kennett, Bart Hovenga, and Jason Fister reading. I'm now going to fold these meetings into episodes of the podcast one new one each month First Saturday of each month uh, So this was our first meeting And I hope you enjoy the reading
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. There. Nothing
0: I <laughs> Well yeah, I, I'm gonna start now, cause you gotta start, cause we only had 3.45. 345 yeah, yeah, so we had hour. How
2: long does everybody get to read?
0: 15. Mine has to this time a whole Yeah, mine's shorter too, so... Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> no <laughs> <three. laughs> <laughs> 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 Yeah. a plus. You can talk about it. Bring Jerry Seinfeld. The interview, man. That's
2: a lot time for the interview. Yeah, a lot of times <laughs> for the interview. Yeah. And get thorough on it. I mean, like your
0: study. I should've prepared. Uh, all right. Freewheeling. Like I got the record. Time. All right. All right, we're right,
2: gonna start. All right.
0: Um, thank you so much for being at the first Show Do Tell, uh, first edition of a new reading series. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Matt Waters. Uh, thank you for, to Otto's fucking head for providing a venue. I've uh, played here uh, as well, done some interesting sets. I was just telling Christina about something. And there's an the open mic before that. that was, that's an interesting story, too. That's a fucking story, too. So, so yeah, uh, I'm gonna start out. Uh, I'm gonna read a something that I wrote for the occasion. Uh, kind of summing, summarizing. Why I feel like this is an imo- important thing to do. Why I want to do it, and uh, reading, and uh, uh, it's called a uh, dark. You know, this is a series. Uh, reading's important, and also reading series is important. So this is called um, Dark Age Rhapsody. I was at the first birthday party for my beloved nephew Leo when I started playing soccer with a child on the fenced field beside the Hudson River, between drinks at Blue Eyes. The boy is a friend of the family, and we'd broken off before to throw and kick during other occasions. And in these moments, I remember being a child and how engrossing it can be to get lost in a game, enough to forget the moment's passing and the cataloging of my alienation and the imagining of what could have been, instead to kick a soccer ball toward a child who is so proud to make a save, leaping sideways and stretching his hands before the net behind him like a web. I've seen this boy grow himself from a sprout to looking like someone else, that is himself, after not seeing him for months and years. And it's like, whoa, what does that mean? One day, God willing, he'll be as old as me. And what does God will for me? On this bright afternoon on the Hudson, I decide to ask him now, because he's older, what do you read? Between my exaggerated flailing and trash talk, what do you read? I may have had assumptions, Sports Illustrated, Matt Christopher, ESPN no, a book, not a website, and then he'd tell me about the one he's slogging through in school with the obvious moral, then I could say something like, you know, reading a book is all about how you star, you star, read it. And when I was fucked up later in the afternoon talking to my uncle while sitting on the bench staring straight into the empty gold heart of downtown as he describes where the towers used to be and how the burning gas metal and flesh that day reminded him of the napalm he stole in Vietnam before he says his favorite has always been right place, wrong time. At that moment, and I was trying to drunkenly fade into some deeper appreciation of the whole beautiful day, which felt like it lasted only as long as Sinatra's iron console note on the M from New York, New York. And at that moment, I drunkenly say to myself, I just gave that kid a lesson. I'm still trying to learn in my fancy new-school MA courses that jack off my intellect and do jack shit for me professionally. I drunkenly say that to myself, and then something charmingly smug, like Sinatra would say after making out with one of the married broads he seduced as a young failure in Hoboken, something like, ah, art, or ah, reading. But instead, this boy on the soccer field knocking the ball between his heels, says, reading is trash. Trash? All of it? All manner of reading? Trash, he answered confidently. And it's stuck with me since, just how assured he was, how educated he surely has been by the things I take so much comfort in, things I been reading for myself. Because sorry, James Joyce, I don't want to think tonight. I want to keep refreshing Twitter, like a robot injecting heroin in his light bulb eyes. Or, my bad, Morikami, instead of reading your work, which four separate people who have never met each other have told me to do at different points in my life, instead I'll be like a robot beating off his metallic manhood until it shoots oil, sufficiently excited by the new content on kink.com. Yes, I am a contributor to the void. I wear a mask, I do not practice what I preach, and my desperate needs have rendered reading trash for the youth of America. So instead of my warm smugness at five in the afternoon, I kiss my nephew on his head while saying goodbye in Frank Sinatra's parking lot and go back to the sensible thing crossing Riverside, praying over the world he'll become a man. We're all here. I'm so happy and excited to be doing this. Um, Thank you for coming, Uh, readers and audience. Thank you so much. Um, I introduce the first reader right now. This is Bard. Uh, I met him at a Newtown Literary event. She did a phenomenal job hosting, and uh, I'm looking forward to being introduced to his writing right now. Thank you, Bard. It's, uh, It's all yours.
1: Thank you, Matt. That piece was great. I love the Matt and Christopher reference. Yes. Uh, high school teacher, and I definitely battle the reading is trash conundrum with myself and my students daily. But um, just from my students that I've seen like through the years, like it's surprising how much kids like kids want to read and they will read if you get them the right books. And my kids like that I have right now, they read they read way more and they're way more into it than I was in high school. So hope for the future there. Um, The piece I'm going to read is uh, still like a work in progress. It's basically the prologue to a book I'm writing about my dog. Your mama told us the story. This was last August, our living room, air conditioner humming, sky heavy, gray and humid through the seventh floor window, over the lower rows of buildings in the eastern beyond, all the way out across the island to the ocean. The same I stare at now, every day, night, afternoon, morning. That day I played with you and your brother on our old rug, the one you'd already chewed up, out of anxiety, nausea, just because. The one you'd chew up more later on, puking piles of half-digested food tangled with fibers. Another sign I missed while you lay sick in your bed in the corner. The TV flickered on mute in the background, random afternoon, early evening network programming. I was drinking beer, the tall boy cans like I always do. Your mama sat on her big round on, now too gone, after you peed on it, after I complained about it one too many times. Her phone was pressed to her ear, talking to her mom, and I could tell after a while it wasn't good. Something was wrong, but I didn't pay it much attention. I kept playing with you and your brother. Tug of war, keep away with all your ragged toys. You chasing, jumping, following your brother running back to play karate like you liked, my hands chopping at your sides, your mouth as you rolled over with your belly up, smiling, catching your breath as I pet you and drink my beer, glanced across at the images flickering on the TV, out, over out, at the, over out the window at the gray nothing, everything. Your mama hung up and sat still, her legs pulled up under her, staring straight ahead. I asked what happened, what was wrong? The moment, the silence hung. Her face scrunched up. She started to cry, fought it off, caught her breath. The story was this. There was a family staying at the lake your mama had been going to since she was a little kid. 30 some consecutive summers. They were renting the same cabin where we stayed, where we brought you for the first time a month earlier, your brother for the second. Both of your hair probably still dusted all over it. The family was a man, a police officer from New Jersey, his wife and their two children. The way your mama told it, they'd been there for a week or so, and it started off normal enough. The kids playing in the water, the man and the wife on the dock, rowboats and kayaks, walks around the lake, the general store and drives into town. All the good, simple, and basic things. The reason people go up there in the first place, or maybe I'm just projecting. As the week wore on, the man and his wife started fighting. The neighbors, your Aunt Eileen, there for the summer as she always was, watching over the cluster of cabins she rents out to your mama's families and everyone else. They could overhear it, the way you can hear everything that goes on up there. Out in the middle of nowhere, but still no real privacy. The tight open space, the thin walls. The way the dirt and trees and pine needles dampen, but also echo. The lake water, the constant backdrop. Shouting, arguing, little bursts breaking the calm, then quieting. It came to a head on the man's birthday. He was turning 40. He was an alcoholic, sober for a year or so, going to meetings, but he brought a bottle on the trip to celebrate, smuggled in his suitcase. He started drinking early, late morning, his wife arguing with him not to, but eventually giving up and letting him do as he wanted. It settled down again in the afternoon, the man playing with the kids, playing with his kids in the water, watching from the dock, smiling, squinting in the golden sun the glinting water fading to dust. It rose back up in the twilight, the dark, the neighbors and Eileen in her cabin, eating dinner, watching television. They could hear the arguing again through the windows, the thin walls, the screen doors, and the the insect backdrop, the night-lake small-town home and calm. Then outside in the driveway, the half-dirt, half-gravel road. The wife said she would leave with the kids, and the man said, don't bother. He would instead, alone. She said, fine, she would like that. And the man paused at his open car door and smiled, laughed and said he bet she, Laughed and said, "He bet she would. He bet she would like that. And she said, yeah, yeah, she would. And he smiled, laughed again, and said, don't worry. She would get her wish soon. And she said, good, she hoped she would. She hoped she would. What I think is that he drove up the hill into town, bought another bottle, drove back drinking along the way. Windows up. Down, radio playing, silent. Just the vacuum hum, the asphalt buzz, and warm forest wind. Maybe he stopped at the brewery at the intersection just up the road, had his last drink or drinks with the other tourists and locals, or by himself at the bar. Back at the lake, he kept on. Parked in front of the, parked in the driveway, sitting on the deck, looking out at the silver black water, the small dark island in the middle, the low purple mountains edging, this, edging the, edging horizon. He got his gun from the glove box in his car, his suitcase in the cabin, already on his person. He walked out, back out onto the dock, down the ladder of the rocky bank, splashing, wading into the water. Maybe a loon called out, its howl like a coyote's, scary but beautiful. Maybe he heard it over the humming quiet, looked up at the stars, clear, muted behind the clouds, drifting gray, almost white, reflecting the light of the moon. Maybe he didn't. He put the gun gun to his mouth, his head, his chest. He pulled the trigger. His wife, kids, your Aunt Eileen and the neighbors, the whole lake heard it. A single firework in August, only shorter, louder. A gunshot from a hunter, only too close and too late for that to be so. They looked at each other, up from their TVs, their dinners, books and board and card games, laptops, cell phones, if they were somehow getting reception wondered aloud to themselves what it was, looked out the windows, doors, couldn't find anything, went back to their activities. Someone went out and found him eventually, the wife maybe, maybe someone else. God help whoever it was, but at least it was soon after. At least it was under the cover of night, not the kids or anyone going out in the morning, the daylight for a swim, out on the deck to drink their coffee, looking out over the water. No, it was soon after. From the cabins, your aunt Eileen and the neighbors heard and saw the sirens, the police and ambulance, headlights and flashlights, commotions, crying, questioning, gawking and whispering, well into and all through the night, and lingering through the morning and days after. I glanced up at your mama. I glanced up at your mama on the phone, cross-legged on her papa's arm, me on the floor still with you and your brother, beer can on the coffee table, TV in the background. I could tell something had happened, something was wrong, the way I always can, could. The way her skin pales, her cheeks drop, forehead tightens. She hung up and stared straight ahead. Her face scrunched up, started crying. She fought it off again. She told us the story, and I could tell she could feel it, more than I ever could. She said it, this part of her childhood violated. The peace, the calm sanctuary of the lake violated. The cabins in your Aunt Eileen violated. She said she felt bad for her and Eileen for the embarrassment, the way people at the lake would gossip and shame, the way they did for any little thing, let alone something like this, the way her and her family's cabin and dock specifically had been violated and would never be the same. But mostly for the man's family, the wife and children. What would it like? What would it be like for them? How could they move on? How could they grow up? How can you imagine? She looked at me straight ahead, skin pale, cheeks dropped, forehead tightened. You and your brother kept playing on the floor until you lay down, rested your heads on your paws in the carpet. I drank my beer and looked at your mama. I told her I knew, it was terrible, but I didn't know. Not even close, I still do What I was thinking was more how this could ruin the day, the afternoon and evening, one of the last of the summer the week or so break before school started, what I could do to distract your mama, what I could say to make her feel better. I was trying to feel for the pain of your mama, the pain she felt for the man and his family, how devastating it all was. It was, it was devastating, and I felt for that, but it wasn't me, it wasn't my life, at least not right now, at least not for a while, maybe ever, I thought. What I was thinking was how we wouldn't be able to go back to the lake the next summer, maybe ever. It would be too strange and upsetting. What I didn't know is that we still would, despite everything, and it would be our last too. Your
0: Show so oh, you tell. All right. Now you must do tell. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. So, um, that, that was interesting because I felt like it veered between being, it could have been an essay. In the beginning, it struck me as poetry, and it was also very prose like. Do you often write pieces that seem to straddle different lines of the description in, in such a way?
1: Um, yeah, I would say like when I when I hear words, when I like I think like more like a poetic style, so that's where I go from. And then actually, um, I end up like because the, it comes out choppy because it's more like poetry at first. I go back and try to smooth it out more into. It's tricky. It's something I'm still trying to work on. I have this I haven't. Just, like kind of like a new style for me. Um, so I'm still trying to like figure out how to um, make it like have the, the rhythm and the sounds of poetry, but also make sense enough to be prose or like an essay. So I guess that's what I'm
0: So like the rhythm and things of that nature are important. It's, it's interesting because we all have to start with, with writing words. But you also, and that's something I've always kind of struggled with, and I still don't really know what I do about it in terms of trying to say something. Like, I had a teacher at the new school uh, named Robert Boyers, um, and he's a cultural critic. Um, and he, you know, he was coming, his career was blossoming in the 60s. So he was like a really interesting guy. But I had like a conversation with him about whether you are still conscious of your intention before you start writing, or whether that reveals itself to you, or whether that reveals itself to you through the language. Um, but how do you? How much thought do you put into what you're trying to get at, perhaps sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph? Is it something you're conscious of before you're writing, or is it something you feel like you're
1: going to search for and find by writing the words? Yeah, it's weird. I've gone, I mean, I feel like I'm still, like, really still learning how to be a writer. And so I've, I've tried, I've outlined, I've, like, been very intentional before. I've been gone totally another way. Um, what your professor was saying it reminds me of one of my favorite writers, which is really cliche, but one of my favorite writers is Carl Oaken Osgard. And he just came out of the book. Um, It's called, I think it's part of, like, Yale. Some some university, they put out books where basically authors write essays about why they write. And his is called Inadvertent. And his his point is basically exactly that that like he he um he starts writing maybe with an intention but the goal is to get to a point where you inadvertently hit on something else so yeah I mean that's that I just read that like a couple months ago and that i I mean I think it's I mean I like that idea but at the same time like I I've, I've also like I've just gone like. Through, wheeled pins yeah. and it turns out to be like complete trash.
0: Sure. Line, so um, I think it's, it's true. It's fascinating because when I he, the idea of doing that was completely foreign to him and he couldn't understand trying to write that way. Um, so like everybody has, you know, different and he's, you know, he's, he's up, uh, you know, he's a wise old sage and he's been doing this for a long time and you're always learning things about other people's processes and stuff and I guess how do you find your own it's just like a matter of continuing to write but uh, thank you so much Bard, I really appreciate it I really enjoyed your piece, I loved you know, what it covered and um, how it's zoomed in and zoomed out um, in the way that our own perspectives tend, or how we gauge how we're supposed to feel about something versus maybe how we actually do and the tension that might cause. And, um, you know, it was great having you and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, thanks. Thank you so much. Excellent. Aurora. <laughs> Next up, we have my pal Jason, uh, who I met at an open mic. Uh, I can't believe it. It's about what, four years ago or five years ago, something like that. It's completely insane. Uh, we were both uh, doing a songwriting thing uh, in Astoria, and then we uh, discovered that we both love writing. And uh, I a drink. oh, you want it? You want Yeah, 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 yeah. He's gonna go get a drink. Um, <laughs> I got a drink, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, great, Jessica. Are, are we at intermission already? Um, I think we
2: are. Maybe, what time is it? Inadvertently, but
0: 2.52. <laughs> 2.52, okay. Tell us more
2: about
0: your process. Um, I just try to really plan out the scene that right? I'm writing. Very detailed, and that's all I try to do, like uh, like a movie. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't. That's why, like I had, I had, we, when I was talking to my professor, like yeah, it's completely different. I just try to make it a world, um, and I don't worry about trying to describe things uh, or have a point. I just try to immerse the reader in a different. Because I feel like that's the point is uh, the reader being immersed in a different world, and then they make their own meaning. I suppose uh, that's kind of how I feel. But again, people have you know someone bother. It's like I'm going to deconstruct something. You know what I mean? Like the deconstruction mode um, of writing. Uh, People have that intention from the outset. Um, So Jason, um, I I I love his work, and he's going to read a short story right now, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Here, can I use the chair too, or is it it's all set up? You could sit down and use that microphone. <laughs>
3: Before I went away to college, my parents told me that I had to get a job. If I couldn't find one of my own, my father said, I would have to come to work construction with him in the city. I told him not to worry, I would find one, but in my mind, I already had a job, which was begging my mother for gas money, or movie money, or money for going to eat with Lindsay, who I'd been dating all winter, and it was the first girl I'd slept with since death. I was still sick about that, I believed that I would be sick about her for the rest of my life. Lindsay was nice, but insecure, and could be cruel in unexpected ways, especially to her sister, Josephine. You're pretty, Josephine, but you're not interesting enough. I think that's why you can't find a boyfriend. She explained, like a Bond villain, her voice filled with genuine concern as she sat atop a kitchen counter in her apartment that the two shared, dangling her legs and licking ice cream from a spoon. Josephine blushed crimson and I could feel how aware she was of and I could feel how aware she was of my being there and how if I was not there, things would go very differently. I don't know why you gave up yoga. That was at least something, Lindsay continued on, not even looking up from her soon. Her tone was still that of a doting mother. Without interest, how can you expect people to be interested in you? Do you know what I mean? Who could ever seem as interesting compared to you, though? Who could ever seem as interesting compared to you, though, Lindsay? Josephine kissed back before strumming off. And only then did Lindsay look up and seem surprised. Sometimes we are cruel without meaning to be. And this was the way that Lindsay was cruel most often like a careless physician, cutting where there was no need to cut, in the name of medicine, in the name of all that she learned up until that point. How can I apologize for being who I am, she once asked me. By just apologizing, I told her, annoyed. Yeah. Lindsay was the second person I'd ever slept with, and I was nervous. She was older than I was by three years, and I had lost her, virginity by one of, lost her virginity to one of the seasonal waiters from the hotel where she worked, Not two months before we met. I didn't even mean to, she told me. There was a bunch of us drinking in his room, and then all of a sudden, it was just me and him. He started making out, and then he asked me if I wanted to take a shower. I said, OK, and I got into the shower with all my clothes on because I thought that was funny. But then I took off his clothes and turned on the water. When we started making out, I took off on, I took my clothes off, and somehow, it just happened. We were in the shower, and my back was to him, and all of a sudden, I bent a little, and he was fucking me. When I kissed Lindsay, her lips went all over my face, and so did her tongue. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get her to kiss me the way I liked. Her parents were divorced and her mother had been abusive to her as a child. Not abusive, she explained. She would hit me because she would hit us because we misbehaved or were annoyed with her, or if our rooms weren't clean, but it wasn't abusive. She was angry with me for using that word. It wasn't just the way her parents it was just the way her parents were to her, she told me. It was the only way that she knew how to keep us in line. She was smart too, smarter than I was, but I didn't know it at the time. She read authors that I did not know about till college. The lack of joy spawned and and perhaps more importantly, she introduced me to indie music. Before Lindsay, I listened to nothing but punk rock, and I had never even heard of the term indie in my life. But then, I also thought Bob Dylan songs for her old people. She would burn me mixtapes of the band she liked, and if there was one in particular that I wanted to hear more from, she burned me the whole CD. Her favorite was Bright Eyes, sound black frontman Connor Opress. Wrote lyrics, she insisted, better than anyone a Connor's voice sounded to me like a goat, banging over a melancholic piano and guitar, but those records were the first time I ever listened to lyrics of a song and tried to make sense of them. The stories he told were of alienation and justice and compassion for humanity, but most of all, they are about heartbreak. I listened to those records over and over again, but when I did, I thought about Beth, not Lindsay, because Lindsay had never broken my heart. In bed, I could not seem to get comfortable on top of her body. She had never had an orgasm and told me that she thought masturbation was disgusting. I convinced her to let me try with my mouth, and licks to my jaw was sore, my fingers like a jackhammer while she twisted, letting out moments that I mistook for passion. Maybe I had one, I told, she told me. Did you, I asked, peeping up at her? I don't know, she said, you can stop. Just before the first week of July, my father called me into the living room where he and my mother were already seated together on opposite sides of the couch. They did not ask me to sit. I put paperwork, I put the paperwork in, Monday. I put the paperwork in, and Monday you'll be coming to work with me. But I'm still looking for a job, I protested, though, of course, that was a lie. You can look on the weekends, my father said, and my mother was silent and kept her hands folded. That night I called Lindsay and told her that I might be in the city for work most of the week and would have band practice on weekends, so I wasn't sure how much we were going to see each other for the rest of the summer. Well, you'll have three days, she said. I just won't take work on the weekends anymore. We can hang then. I just don't know which day I'll have grand practice, I told her, so you should still take work if they offer it. I don't really even work on weekends, she insisted. And anyway, I don't mind taking off. You won't practice all three days, will you? I don't know, I said, starting to get annoyed. If we have a game, we might. It's important we practice every week, and I'm not sure what my friend's plans are, and I'll have to see what they can do. Well, you can't... Well, can't you tell them you just need a few hours to hang out with your girlfriend, can't you? I got silent, realizing I had called for reasons I didn't fully really understand. Of course, I said, probably. It was about a two-hour drive from the city to our house from our house upstate. My dad woke me at 4 a.m. on the drive down. We talked about leaving for college. I Manhattan was laid out in the grid system, avenues east to west and streets north to south. And how, in 2012, the world was going to end. The world would physically end, my father assured me. But it's possible a lot of people might die. I watched the headlights pass on the other side of the highway and listened to him continue on. We are entering into a new age of consciousness. People are going to start waking up to what they really are. And there are a lot of people out there who don't want to do that. So there could be a lot of suffering, a lot of destruction and chaos. I nodded. My dad talked often about the end of the world and always seemed excited by it. The way he spoke about it, I didn't feel afraid or think it seemed crazy. The way he spoke, I felt like no matter what was going to happen, it would turn out all right in the end. And I was lucky to have him there to explain it to me so I wouldn't be afraid. New York is a perfect example of how mad we've become and on. It's a pure expression of ego, of materialism, and people disconnected from the nature of the Great Spirit. It is insanity, but it's good to be able to look into that insanity and see it for what it is. We drove this Manhattan just as the sun was coming up. The Empire State Building appeared around the bend of the highway, and a feeling both magical and terrible came over me, like watching from the deck of a ship as a sea monster began to rise up out of the depths. There was a power just to being being close to it, an energy condensed and churning churning like invisible pythons, rolling and twisting and slipping through and around one another, then spiraling out and touching the place from my gut and my chest. When we came out of the tunnel, we were driving across town. I saw the lights turn green all at once down the long avenue and thought perhaps it was a coincidence that the city was opening up to greet me. They always do that, even if my dad laughed. The job was on the west side, next to the river. And I remember the cranes with their long necks, their long necks, perched like robot vultures above the bones of unfinished skyscrapers, and the waves of the river shimmering with golden squares from the lights of the reflective apartments. I remember standing between the buildings and feeling like I was standing inside a tomb, inside a hole that might close up at any minute and leave me trapped inside. I remember the smell of smoke from the breakfast carts and the collage of beer posters and lotto tickets and cigarette brands in the windows of the bodegas, and the the bars with their pain-fast windows that seemed so romantic and filled me with hope of infinite possibility for love and friendship and sex. I had been to the city before, but this was the first time I'd ever looked at it as something that might have something to do with me. My dad parked his truck, and as we walked through the building, I began to realize that I had lived a very small life, a life where I had hardly known anyone or anything at all, and now, all of a sudden, I believed that I was going to start learning. Jesse had my name, and I had his. He was, tw- he was a twin, like my brothers were twins, and he was three years older than I was, just like Lindsay. Jesse will show you around, my dad said. We were standing next to a row of green lockers in a dimly lit basement. Jesse grinned a toothy grin and adjusted his fitting mixed cap. When my dad was gone, he turned on a mini-radio that he kept clipped to his bag- baggy blue jeans and asked me if I liked hip-hop. Sure, I said, though this was a lie. What hip-hop do you listen to? Just what's on the radio, I said. He turned up the music and looked at me expectantly. Do you know this song? I shook my head. No. You don't? Jesse yeah, asked, disappointed. They play this a lot. And in my mind, I thought renovating a high-end apartment building might be something like helping my dad the previous summer with a roof and a garage. All day, I had basically handed him tools when he needed them and held pieces of wood for me to shoot with a nail gun. Before we left New York, I had told him I was confident painting walls, if anything in the building needed painting. But he said that he hired people to do that, and those people would not want any help from me. This was disappointing. I had bragged to my friends that I'd be working construction for the summer, and they had been impressed. I thought I might be able to turn. I, I thought I might be able to learn a trade like painting, or maybe cycling and use that to work my way through school. I was so thin that I thought I might grow fit and have my shoulders stand out like I always dreamed they would. I would do push-ups in my room every night. I told myself. I would find one of the bars and let the college kids in that let college kids in and order pint or a beer. I would walk in like it was no big deal and no one would be the wiser. The, el- the elevator had an operator who came who was 40 and also had his own personal radio. Turn that shit down, he growled of Jesse. Hey, why do I gotta turn my shit down? Why don't you turn your shit down? Jesse said, Jesse said this like it was a joke, but Hakeem didn't seem amused. Because if you don't, you aren't going anywhere in the fucking elevator. Hey, said Jesse, turning his thumb in my direction. You know who this is? Yeah, Hakeem said, a white boy. This is Steve's son, Jesse said, bringing a feety grin. I'm showing him around. Hakeem looked at me. You're Steve's son, he asked? I nodded. Hakeem grunted and pushed the button for the doors to close. In the gutted inside to the seventh floor, Jesse explained what the job was. The main metal garbage bins had to be filled with sheetrock, insulation, and what other, other trash there was on the floors. There was a lot of trash. The walls had been torn apart by sledgehammers, and only large steel pillars and dirty windows remained. You gotta wear gloves, Jesse said, tugging on the, his gloved hands. And you gotta wear your mask. I snapped the dust mask he snapped the dust mask on his neck. I used I used to not like wearing the mask in but then I would go home and have this cough. I had this cough so bad I couldn't sleep, and my lady couldn't sleep either. She got so mad about coughing, she made me sleep on the couch. But I couldn't help it. I kept coughing and coughing, and all this black shit would come out of my flung. It was nasty, man. I got really scared because I don't have insurance to see a doctor. Thank God I went away. I noticed some guys where were it didn't leave them, and they cough and cough all the time, and they probably always will, so I don't fuck around. Now I make sure. He snapped the mask on his neck again. I make sure to wear the mask. The mask made my nose itch and red and itchy and it made me and it made it harder to breathe. I would, take off, I would take it off sometimes when you put it on again. If you went into the light, you could see how much dust there was all around. Being so thick it looked like a swarm of mass, all different shapes and sizes, floating lazily in a small section where the light broke through. Whether I wore it or not, though, I still coughed up black goo. There were twelve floors, and all there was to do was fill bins with trash until it was time to go home. After the third day, I would leave and hide on the roof for as long as I thought I could be missed, or sometimes sit in the basement and pretend like I was getting something out of my locker. It was not just the work, but the place itself that tore it me. Everything was gray, everything was dust and rubble, and always there was a thud of hammers, the scream of electric saws and sanders, roaring, buzzing, and hawing from early morning until the very last minute when we left. Jesse didn't complain about the noise or the way that everything was gray. He complained about the other workers. He said they threw trash on the floor for him to pick up. How they drank and smoked and did other drugs on the job. And how almost all of them were worth two shits in a fight. At least that's what he said. I smoke weed is all I do here. But some of those guys, they come in fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Fucked up. And they want to fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? You smoke? I shook my head no. Weed made me part of paranoid and sullen. Well, if you ever want to talk let me know. And I... Let me know. I smoke every day, said Jesse. It takes the edge off. You know what I'm saying? Only time I don't smoke is when I go to see my girls. You got kids? I shook my head no. I got two kids, two girls. And my lady, she has three. Two boys and a girl. He said, we're fighting right now, my lady and I. But it's all good. It's not serious. You got yourself a woman? I nodded, but I guess it wasn't enthusiastic enough. What's the matter? You don't like her, Jesse asked? I like her, I said. Nah, I get it. Lots of fish in the sea out there. Lots of fine-ass fish with three asses in the sea out there. He laughed and started doing pull-ups on the middle ceiling beam with an unfinished doorway. He could lift himself with one hand like it was nothing. And his arms were long and hairless and stingy. He told me when his girlfriend threw him out, he'd sleep on the subway sometimes. That technically, he, he told me when his girlfriend threw him out, he'd sleep on the subway sometimes. And that technically, she was still married. There's some assholes here, but my, but the friends you make, those friends gonna be your friends for life. You know what I'm saying? Another. You continue to throw trash in the bins. There was a joke about. The men's bathroom being, it was true, the men's bathroom upstairs was the white's only bathroom since my dad had the key and he and the white men who owned the building were the only ones allowed to use it. The problem with the other bathroom was that some of the workers didn't know you were supposed to flush toilet paper and left the ship fell ships all over the floor. How could they not know, I asked. Where they're from, you throw it in a bin, my dad explained. There was no bin, and so that was that. Sometimes I hid in the whites in bathroom with the key. Sometimes I just sat down against the wall, behind the blue bin, and tried to imagine I was somewhere else. The highest you could be paid as a laborer was $12 an hour, and that's what I got. Jesse got 10. His brother was in jail, five years for selling dope. I wasn't sure what dope was, and I was too shy to ask. The friends you make here will be your friends for life. Jesse kept telling me, but he was always yelling at someone or pissed off. The last week there, he and Keem almost had it out. The King was screaming at Jesse because he'd taken the elevator, while. Joaquin was helping him load one of the trucks, and Jesse had left it on the third floor without telling everyone. I told you on the radio I was taking, Jesse yelled, you dumb fuck. It doesn't matter, it don't matter, if you said on the radio, nobody heard you, and nobody knew where it was, Joaquin yelled back, making his way across the paper lobby, and you can call me a dumb fuck again, and I'm gonna knock the fucking teeth in. Fucking try it, bitch. One of the carpenters, Denham, a broad-year-old Jamaican who looked like he could crush my head in his bare hands with minimal effort, separated the two and told Jesse to get the fuck out of the building. Jesse left but came back during lunch and apologized to Keen and to my dad when we sat eating lunch together in his office. I'm just tight today, man, Jesse told him. It wasn't personal, i I got a lot of shit going on, but I'm trying. I'm trying not to lose my shit. You know that, Steve. You know that I'm a solid worker and I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. My dad forgave him and sent us both to work on the eighth floor, which had been guttered that morning. I was sleeping sw- on the opposite side of the room when I heard Jesse start screaming, fuck, 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 over and over again. And I thought he must have heard it all That You okay, yeah, "Starting over? No, he screamed, no. What is it? Somebody took a fucking shit. What? Jesse raised up his hand. His eyes wide. Somebody took a fucking shit and I put it under the plastic bag and reached down and grabbed it with my fucking hand. And I don't have the gloves on and I fucking grabbed it with my fucking hand. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I don't know what to say. So I didn't know what to say. So I just told him I was sorry. I'm sorry. I kept saying that sucks. It really sucks, man. I'm sorry. look at me pacing back and forth. And he was holding his hand down in front of him, with his other hand gripping his wrist, and then he smashed his arm against one of the metal, metal pillars, which I knew must have hurt, and he stormed off down the stairs. That weekend, I found a job at the sushi pizza restaurant 15 minutes from my house of state. I don't know how Lindsay found out, but it was probably just seeing my car packed outside in the restaurant, and I was supposed to be in the city. She came in one day and looked at me to make sure it was me, then I left without a word and then lied and said I was busy on the weekends And she asked. I was too afraid to call her, so I wrote her an email and said, trying to explain how I just needed some time away to get my head straight. And that also, since I was leaving for college at the end of summer and long-distance relationships really didn't work, usually didn't work out, I was thinking maybe she'd take a break. She wrote me back saying that it was okay, and that we had fun together, and she was probably getting emotional about it because I would have been her first real boyfriend. She said she had no feelings in those least that I had told her that it was over, I, and so she didn't have to keep guessing, but wondering about it constantly in her head. I was surprised and touched by how much sure she was about the whole thing, and I told her I hoped we could still, still be friends. She said she looked back to you. In the fall, she was visiting in college. I keep drunk and cry, and cry on the sidewalk outside my apartment that I was renting with my two friends. She had missed her train and bothered outside the bar more than a few times. I was trying to get her, and I was trying to get her to come back inside so it wouldn't be such a scene will you come in? I was asking her. What's it going to take? Jesus Christ, what do you want me to say? I don't know, she groaned, leaning against the side of the garbage can. her eyes red from crying and bobbing. I guess I don't want you to say anything. Her makeup was smeared and her high heels had fallen off and I was holding them in my hand. You want me to say I'm sorry, I asked, watching out of the corner of my eyes a group of students walk on the opposite side of the street, some of them giggling. Is that it, I asked? Is that what you want? But she wouldn't answer.
0: Thank you, uh, Jason. Who are some of your uh, f- favorite authors or writers that you feel have, um, you know, have impacted the way you write? Actually, Kanan's Red is actually one of my favorite writers. I, uh, I loved, he's a,
3: I mean, he's like nonfiction, so it's kind of hard to compare that way, but um, uh, yeah, Kanan's a little bit Faulkner. Uh, there's so many, really. I don't know.
0: Anyway, it was a, a re- that was why I started writing? To the reading yeah, something that um, strikes me about, about your writing—it's it's so uh, based in uh, realism. And um, I wanted to ask if it was a process for you to kind of tackle what you tackle and have the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of. It's such a realistic aesthetic or realistic feel to your right. Was, was that something you, you developed over time or, or has that always been uh, appealing to you as US fiction writer? Um I think that it, uh, I kinda of, like,
3: mess around a lot with it. I think I just like a you're always just like looking to make something like seem real. So I like that's sort of the I worked with construction with my father in Sydney when I was like younger. and I like, that was my first introduction into like, being outside of, like, a suburb. That was, like, kind of, kind of, like, I really, it really stuck with me. Um, so... Yeah, I guess it's like
0: you just stand around. <laughs> Does that make sense? That yeah, make sense? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. All right, we're gonna take a five-minute break or something, uh, and then we'll wrap up with uh, Miss cadet, Gonzalez, and uh, it's been it's been good, and uh, so yeah, let's uh,
4: let's do that. Thank you. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin build there of clay and wattles made Nine bean rows will I have there a hive for the honey bee and live alone in the bee-loud glade and I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the vales of the morning to where the cricket sings. There, midnight's all a glimmer, and noon a purple glow, and evening full on the wings. swings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day. I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway, or on the pavement's gray, I hear it in the deep heart's core. Well, you know, or
5: don't you, Kenneth, or haven't I told you? Every telling has a tailing, and that's the he and the she of it. Look, look, the dusk is growing. My branches lofty are taking root, and my cold chair's gone ashly. Heeloo, heeloo. What age is that? It soon is late. It is endless now since I or one last saw Hoses' clock. They took it asunder, I heard them sigh. When will they reassemble it? Oh, my back, my back, my back. I'd want to go to Aix-le-Pains, ping pang! There's the bell for sex-aloitus, the concept this the spray, pang. Bring out the clothes, ring in the dew. God of the showers, and grant grace, a Will we spread them here now? Aye, we will. Flip, spread on your bank, and I'll spread mine on mine. Flap. it's what I'm doing, spread. It's churn and shield, their wind is rising. I'll lay a few stones on the hostel sheets, a man and his bride embrace between them, else I'd have folded and sprinkled them only. And I'll tie my butcher's apron here, It's suety yet the strollers'll pass it by. Six ships, 10 kerchiefs, nine to hold to the fire, and one for the code, the convent napkins, twelve, one One baby shawl. Could Mother Joseph know, she said. whose head? mother snores, they attach us. Where now are all of her children say? In kingdom gone, or power to come, or glory be to them, Father. All alluvial, all alluvial. Some here, more no more, more again lost and a stranger. I heard tell that same brooch of the Shannons was married into a family in Spain. And all the dunders to dun in Markland's vineland beyond Brendan's herring pool takes number nine in Yangtze's hat. And one of Biddy's beads went bobbin till it rounded up lost history with a marigold and a cobbler's candle in a side strain of a main drain of a man's in a hurry's off bachelor's walk. But all that is left to the last of the mars in the loop of the years prefixed in between is one knee buckle and two hoops in the front do you tell me that now? I do enthrop. Or oh, are a probs, et pour animus. O soul, we're umbers on. Misha, didn't you hear it a deluge of times? Ofer and over, respond to spong. You did, you did, I need, I need. It's that ear of wadi knife stoke in my eyes. It all but hush with an sound. Oh, runnoko. What short trouble? Is that the great Finn leader himself, in his Joe of on his statue right in the high horse there for Hengist? Father of authors, it is himself. Beyond there, is it that, on Thalerine Common, you're thinking of Astley's amphitheater, where the bobby stranger making sugar stuffed pouts to the ghost white horse of the Peppers? Throw the cobwebs from your eyes, woman, and spread your washing proper. It's well I know you're sort of slop, up. Ireland sober as Ireland stiff. Lord help you, Mariah, full of grease, the Lord is with me. Your prayers. Aye, Sanso, madam. Angot. Are you lifting your elbow, tell us, blazy cheeks, in Conway's carrigal-corret canteen? Was I what? Hobbledy hips? Flop. Your rear gates, creak or Roman, did your butts disagree? Haven't I up since the damp dawn, Martha Mary, all a cook. with Corrigan's pulse and very coarse veins, my pram axle smashed Alice Jane in the train, and my one-eyed mongrel twice run over, soaking and bleaching boiler rags, and sweating cold a widow like me for to deck my tennis champion son, the laundryman with the lavender flannels. You won your limp upon limp from the husky huzzards. And collars and cuffs were there to the town, and your slur gave the thing to Carlo, holy Savannah, I saw it again, near the Golden Falls. I see the sense of life. Is there? Subdue your noise, you humble creature. What is it but a blackbody growth? Are that Dwyer grey ass and four old codgers' zones? Are you meaning tarpey and lions and Gregory? I mean, I'll thank all the four of them, and the roar of them, that draves that stray in the mist, and old Johnny MacDougall along with them. Is that the pool big, flasher of the ant? Far, far. Or a fireboat coasting near the Kishna, or, or a glow I behold within a hedge, or my Gary come back from the Indies. Wait till the honeying of the loon, love. Die Eve, little Eve, die, we see that wonder in your eyes. We'll meet again, we'll part once more. The spot I'll seek is the hour you'll find. My chart shines high where the blue milk's upset. Forgive me quick, I'm going, go And you pluck your watch, forget me not. You're even load, so save to Jarna then. My sights are swimming thicker on me by the shadows to this place. I so home slowly now, by own way, my valley way. Toe oh, I too Brat mine Ah but she was the queer old Skiausha anyhow And Olivia i And sure he was the queer old bunce too Dear Dirty dumpling, Who's father of Thingalls And Doppergills Jaffer and Gammer were all their gangsters Hadn't he seven dams to wipe him, and every dam had her seven crutches, and every crutch had its seven hues, and each hue had a differing cry, suds for me and supper for you, and the doctor's bill for Joe John. Before, before, he married his markets cheap by foul, I know, like any Etrurian Catholic heathen, in their pinky liminy creamy bernies and their Turkish Indian moulds. But at milked mass, who was the spouse? Then all that was was fair, tis elven land, teams of times and happy returns to same the you. Ordovico or vi ricordo, Anna was, Libya is, Lura to be. This is uh, Christina Canet Gonzalez. I went to the
0: new school with her, 2014 fiction. We're in the same thesis group, and I don't know. Your writing—it's so visceral. It's so about a sense of self, but also a fractured sense of self. Um, And uh, I love what it's concerned with um, in terms of uh, putting across a human being more than anything else uh, as a primary concern. Um, So uh, enjoy
2: but I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Thank you, Matt Waters, <laughs> that was such a nice introduction. Can you all hear me? You yeah. yeah. <laughs> never tell it, yeah. how that's yeah. going. So sure yeah. right. I am a fiction writer, as Matt said, and today I'm going to read some, some of my poetry. <laughs> so, um, here it goes. An opening. What could I find if I climbed inside this window of a warehouse mind and traversed its beams? all repels down one side and sweated in there all labor and play as i do with this body day after day the next one is called material things how deeply can the body settle into what it would naturally be less firm is what it could be, unmuscled, unstructured, if you will, and only reminiscent of the machine you like to maintain, this woman-made thing that runs every day on doses of protein and water, on salt, and planned imitations of labor, on fumes marvelous yes because the mind doesn't work that way how much of yourself is your mind in truth and what portion is handmade armor you've said it before but feel the pulse now in your reflex one side and the other the body is just a material thing when humans at heart are perennial as water as rock as wind and impending storm. You are inextricable from ocean and land. You feel, and sometimes you don't feel, and you'll panic at arms that go numb, but never at your art's evanescence and never at writer's block. Newborn circle of mismatched chairs with two other queens and surely no one is comfortable. The two of them are underslept and worn from swimming in salt. The two of us made a last-minute drive and my neck has been throbbing like hell. Nobody advertises woe. Well. We pocket our phones for two hours straight. I know because they have a fucker. Life beats a heart. I notice each of our knees and wonder who has their mothers as I was born with mine. Knees, I have seen, are structures that pass on indefinitely. Just one of us here has given birth, though. The rest of us, thus far, have had bodies for ourselves. Eventually, the mother one discovers
4: her phone, a pulse.
2: And this warms the room. A picture on the screen, the blanket of a story, the technical detail that it's one of them who's hurting, who invokes technology at last. Humidity balances human. It soothes every ache. A real friend request has been made, has been thrown, like the words of a revolution. This is the last poem I'm going to read, and it's called LGB PTSD.
1: Uh,
2: A great war begins before we breathe, and it covers worldwide and tends to the births of us all. We fight, our child days, and on through some more. Whole days are spent digging, then hiding in holes like the animals. We hate to call it hiding, but it's what we sometimes do. In pairs, in paths, alone, till we can go again. Perseverance, we guess, runs all the way down the line. One day deliverance waters down the desert. The war, we're told, is won. Go home now, they say. It's they. They talk of home. Rest now it is they. Drop arms, kiss for cameras, and marry this world is watching. All day, All day, All they. Some of us remove our tags. We take lay names. Even some drop vest and armor and try on delicate things. But beneath it all, our bodies, naked as ever, and marked with spars of course and with lion teeth etched in ourselves bodies rocks and sinew from living this life on foot treading along our lives across our backs but these are people Rucksacking are our stuff people. and carrying yeah, each LA. other. Each other. No, sure. Go check out a, go check out a mirror. We're come to life. Anatomical yeah, no, models. We're freaks of no, fucking nature. nature. Yeah. And civilians, citizens, just people just now. My God. My people. What else have we wanted? At school when we went. There was no chapter Stonewall, but entire Bibles on the first war, that great revolution. We all know a poop who keeps dusty-ass armor and blades, like those battles are still happening. Still. You don't know someone? We all know someone. And everyone we know is a prism of ourselves. Our bodies are and marked as we grapple like humans. With the art of letting go. We have beds, we rest, and beside our legal loves. Yeah, but don't you feel the I entire nights pass that's without that's sweat that's or dreams. The that's zero that's 0500 that's is cyclic, it's real. This morning I snapped up and I wonder, did you? These feet hit the floor, hands swept the side table for the delicate tree, the tags that once held my neck. It's a tick, it is me, and my lover, she just doesn't sleep. Woo!
0: sharing, um, great way to end the reading. So as uh, someone who's familiar with um, some of the fiction you've written over the years, uh, which, I, which I enjoy, why is uh, poetry essential for you to write, even though you do have also such a commitment to uh fiction writing? Well, first of all, I
2: have to admit that I write poetry as a way to escape the pressure that I feel writing fiction, um, and I think that I always have this heavy weight on my shoulders when I at the fiction, because I know what makes the fiction work, um, and it's not just a matter of liking the story or liking the sound. You and I talk a lot about musicality and fiction, and sound plays a lot, has a, a big role in the fiction that I write, but with poetry, I really am only judge it based on sound, quality, and rhythm, and I don't know. I enjoy it the way I enjoy a song, but I don't know how to talk about it. I just know that I like it. So it, it helps me to keep writing and to work on rhythm and sound and fiction and all that stuff, but to not really feel any pressure to make it, you know, good.
0: A, a line that I love in that, in that last poem you read is, you know, when the comparison of uh, human beings to nature or the energy of a storm. And is, that, is there something in, in, in writing poetry that feels, that has that feeling uh, in its own way of uh, kind of being organic or kind of being, you know, uh, that, that type of natural uh, way maybe maybe possibly less intellectual or possibly less uh, kind of confined by those expectations of uh, being so conscious of what you're doing where perhaps uh, poetry is more like, you know, a rainstorm or, or something of, of that nature, age, something more natural, even though you do also have to edit and work on it and stuff like that. Is this, Do you think there's anything to that or am I just talking shit here? Am <laughs>
2: I'm,
0: I just, always just talking. I'm always just talking shit. <laughs>
2: Yeah. i <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I think that, at least for myself, as the person who I can Um when I'm writing poetry, yeah because the space is smaller, I mean, five pages is a very short, well, a very short story, but it's a very long poem. Um Because there's a space constraint, I feel that I have to especially when I'm reviving, connects more succinctly with innate feeling and essence of whatever, you know, of
0: so much for coming. Thanks so much for being here. I thought this went awesome. Uh, I was nervous because I've never done this before and um, I thought it was fun and uh, I really hope some some people here will come to the next one uh which i believe will be february 2nd uh first saturday of each month uh literary poetic non-fiction gathering at uh, i'm a truck ahead and uh thank you and uh, i know i've said that about 500 fucking times uh, I can't say it enough. It's the kind of guy I am. Uh, Thanks for being here, and let's take a picture uh, with the readers uh, all together. Yeah, it oh, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, organized. This is okay. as good as organizing as I get. Uh, organizing a Yeah. Really at large. yeah. Right. And then, Otto's the best to uh, accommodate us. So, much appreciated. Great man, great
2: job. All right, yeah.
0: thanks, guys. Thank you.